Good morning. I'm all in. You all in? Great. Thank you for joining us this morning as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually winding it up. Next week will be the last lesson in this series. Do you know what this is? Any idea? No, it's not a dog. It's a lion. I mean, at least that's what a zoo in China tried to fool people into believing. When the African lion was sent away to a breeding center, he was substituted with a Tibetan mastiff dog. The cover was blown when a mother was teaching her son about the various sounds the animals make, and they came to the cage marked African lion, and to their shock, it barked. And apparently this is not the only type of deception that this zoo tried to pull off. There was actually a, a white fox placed in the leopard's den and even another dog placed in the cage that was supposed to house a wolf. Things are not always as they seem, something that Jesus pointed out in his Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, verses 15 and following, here's what we read. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. You may remember the Mr. Yuck stickers. Maybe your parents put those on different products in your home. Mr. Yuck symbolized poison and things that you shouldn't ingest. And so parents would stick Mr. Yuck stickers over products in their homes so that children would know not to touch them, certainly not to ingest them. Jesus is playing the role of Mr. Yuck here. He is pointing out, by way of warning, to avoid these false prophets. They're toxic. So you have to be careful not to ingest what they're feeding you. And this is serious stuff. The Messiah has come, but there will be people who tell you that he hasn't. The religious leaders will mask error with truth. These blind guides neglect the weightier matters of the law. The scribes and the Pharisees honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from them. And Jesus not only labels them false prophets, he also refers to them as a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, even hypocrites. Jesus exposes their true identity. He plays the part of Mr. Yuck in an effort to steer people away from these ravenous wolves, as he calls them. But here's the thing about ravenous wolves. They don't always look like ravenous wolves. Sometimes they wear a disguise. Sometimes they are incognito. Sometimes they look just like you and me. You don't hang a beware of dog sign on an aquarium. You're not worried about a fish attacking you that's in a fishbowl. They can't do anything to you. Even if they could, they have no arms or legs. But they're stuck in a fishbowl, right? What's so scary about false prophets or ravenous wolves is their subtlety. They blend in with the crowd. They look like sheep. They smell like sheep. They bleat like sheep. They also eat the sheep. There's an old story by Aesop, a fable 
about a wolf that was observing a flock of sheep. And he wanted so badly to eat one of the sheep, but he couldn't find the opportunity because they were so closely guarded by the shepherd. So the wolf found a cast-aside sheepskin, and he put it over himself, and he went into the pasture to graze with the other sheep. And after a while, one little ewe lamb started following him. And he took advantage of the opportunity, and he devoured that lamb. Then at night, he went into the fold with the other sheep and laid down to sleep. And the shepherd was making mutton broth, and he needed a sheep to slaughter. So he walks into the fold, and he grabs the first one he comes to. And guess which one it was? The one that had dressed up like a sheep that was truly a wolf in disguise. The false teacher will eventually be brought to light. He can't hide forever. But he can get away with leading many sheep away from the flock and down the broad path, which is why Jesus' warning is so serious and so stern. It would be one thing if someone were to preach a message that God doesn't exist or that Moses just made up the Torah or that Abraham was a fictional character. Everyone would have pushed back on that. No one would have believed that. That was easy to discern. It wasn't, it wasn't a blatant heresy that the people were worried about or that Jesus was warning them about. Rather, it was the subtlety of the message of these ravenous wolves. You remember Sam and Ralph from Looney Tunes? Sam the sheepdog and Ralph the wolf. Every day they would meet at the time clock. They would clock in after exchanging pleasantries. They would go about their day, Ralph trying to steal a sheep, and Sam the shepherd, Sam the sheepdog, beating the tar out of him. That was their interaction all day. And then at the end of the day, they would clock out again, exchange pleasantries, go home and do it all again the next day. Their roles were clearly defined. There wasn't any doubt as to who was the good guy, who was the bad guy. There was no subtlety to it. Not so with the false prophet. Before we go any further, I think it's important to define the term prophet. In order to define what a false prophet is, what comes to mind when you hear the term prophet? My guess is you probably think of someone who predicts the future. That's often what we think of when we hear the term prophet. But understand that especially in the Old Testament, you find that prophets weren't so much predicting the future as they were interpreting the present. That's what you see over and over again. Yes, the prophets would foretell, but most of the time they were interpreting current events. And so the people would cry out, why God? Why is this happening to us? And God would send a prophet onto the scene to make sense of what was happening and would tell them, here's what you have to do to come back into appliance, uh, compliance. So the prophet was more concerned about what was currently happening rather than what was going to happen. Some people will describe prophets as foretellers and foretellers. I tend to agree with that. They define the present moment, which is foretelling, and then they paint a picture of the future which would be foretelling. But by and large, they were actually interpreting what was going on in the world at the time. Prophets of God dealt with the why of the moment. Again, the people would cry out, why is this happening to us? And God would send a prophet on the scene to interpret the current situation so that the people could avoid destruction. So whenever there was a drought, a famine, an earthquake, or a plague, some sort of disaster, the people would cry out to God. They would question him, why God? And God would send a prophet to talk about the devastation, why it was happening, how they could come back into compliance. That is the distinguishing characteristic between a true prophet and a false prophet. A true prophet delivered God's explanation of the situation. 
while a false prophet made his own interpretation of the situation. False prophets had ulterior motives. They were only in it for themselves. The false prophet would claim to know things that were happening and how to correct it, but the proof is always in the pudding. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 20, it reads, But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, a word which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how will we recognize the word which the Lord has not spoken when the prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the thing does not happen or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You are not to be afraid of him. So how do you distinguish between a true prophet and a false prophet? Well, by their fruits. Did the thing come true? If it didn't come true, it wasn't from God. If it did, then obviously the message was from the Lord. Peter alluded to this, first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Again, you evaluate a prophet based on the origin of their message. Where did it come from? come from God? Did it come from their own imagination? The true prophet will be moved by the Spirit because no true prophecy just comes off of the top of someone's head. Now, you probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is no shortage of false prophets today. And I'm not even talking about in the religious world, although you can find them there as well. It is a good time to be a false prophet. Today's most brazen heretic will be given a hearing And probably a book deal, and a podcast, and a television show. It seems as though there's more tolerance for those who subvert the truth than there is for those who boldly defend it. We're encouraged, even bullied at times, to bear patiently with any amount of error. In fact, some would say that we are imitating Jesus by doing so. In the ancient world, there were numerous spiritual messages. If you wanted to gain a following... Just say that you had a revelation from God, that he's interpreting the current situation and the current climate, and you would probably find a following. Just claim that God has given you some message about how to make one's problems disappear, and people would follow you. And and today it's a little different. I mean, our world isn't as religious, but that doesn't mean that there's a shortage of prophets. Secular prophets dot the landscape speaking to the current climate as well as the future. And they seek to educate us on why bad things are happening, instruct us on what we can do in light of the bad things that are happening, and predict what terrible fate will befall us if we refuse to listen. And it's not just the far right and the far left, it's both and every point in between. There are people who claim to speak with authority and place themselves in the seat of a prophet. They're not only giving their opinion or commentary, they are saying that this is actual fact. They're confidently asserting that they know what the world is going through, why it is the way that it is, and how it's going to turn out if we don't do something. And whether we're talking about secular prophets or religious ones, the tool of discernment is the same. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Want to know if someone's message is true versus toxic? Well, then look at what their message produces. Because the proof is in the fruit. I have a piece of fruit with me this morning. Anybody know what this is? No, it's a line. 
No, just kidding. Obviously, it's an orange, right? And there's three things about this fruit that relate to the fruit that a prophet either produces or doesn't produce, right? Whether it's true or toxic, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. And the first one is that it's visible. I know that's obvious. But fruit is visible. You don't go to the grocery store to buy invisible fruit. I don't know how you would do that anyway. Fruit has to be visible, right? You see fruit. You touch fruit. You can say that you love Jesus, but can it be seen? If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or after investigating your life, would all charges be dropped? Can people see that you bear fruit in your life? Secondly, fruit always bears the character of the tree from which it came. This is an orange. You know what tree it comes from? An orange tree. Apples come from apple trees. Grapes come from grapevines. You don't find an orange on a plum tree. You don't get an apple from a cherry tree. Fruit bears the tree from which it came. It bears the character of the tree from which it came. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, Jesus says, nor uh, figs from thistles. The answer to Jesus' question is obvious. No, no grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes. Figs don't come from thistles. And the reason why is because fruit is defined by the tree from which it came. And therefore, when we are attached to the vine, we produce fruit that is defined by Christ. Our attachment to Jesus produces character that looks like Jesus. We reflect the character of the vine. But the third thing about this fruit and spiritual fruit is that fruit never exists for itself. If you find fruit that exists for itself, then it's rotten. That's the only kind of fruit that exists for itself. Fruit exists for one purpose, for us to partake of it, right? Which means that if, that if no one wants to take a bite out of your life, if no one finds your fruit appetizing, then your fruit is probably rotten. These are the characteristics of fruit. They are visible, they bear the character of the tree from which they came, and they never exist for themselves. So when we examine our lives, we're doing a fruit inspection. We're looking over our lives, looking over ourselves to make sure that we're producing fruit of good quality. And perhaps you're thinking, well, Chris, what are you saying then? Are you saying that I could be producing bad fruit? Are you saying that thus I could be a false prophet? Here's what I'm saying. You cannot afford to be naive here. Because sometimes the bad fruit is growing in your own backyard. It's not just the false prophet that's producing rotten fruit. Many times, the rotten fruit shows up in our own lives. Which brings me to a question. Who are your prophets? Who are you listening to? Who has your ear? And what is their message? If you want to know if someone is proclaiming a message from God or from their own corrupt heart, just look at what the message is producing in you. Who or what is shaping you? What is making you, you? Folks, I know of people who love God. They love God deeply. But they're producing bad fruit because they're listening to messages that sound good. And some of those messages are mostly right. But it's a message that's producing rotten results. It's a message about how bad the world is. How we can make it right. And how everything's going to end up in the toilet if we don't do something. 
I have family members who listen to this message. And it gets them all riled up. And it causes them anxiety. It makes them angry. They lash out at others in the same way. They get on Facebook and become ambassadors of hate. They act in grossly unchristlike ways. All because they listen to a message on Fox News or CNN or political talk radio. And the message brought fame and fortune to the one delivering it. Because by the way, it's about ratings if you didn't notice that. It brought fortune and fame to the one delivering the message, but it brought fear and frustration to the one listening to it. The messenger had their ear and soon had their heart. And please understand me, I'm not telling you to not be invested in politics. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't you know, watch certain things on TV. All I'm telling you is this. If a message is causing you to produce rotten fruit, then you need to turn off the TV. And maybe we all need to turn off Fox News or CNN and go out and do something. You're scaring the children, folks. Stop it. If the voice of God is not the loudest in your life, then there's a problem. Even if the message you're listening to is right, if it's producing bad fruit, you're wrong. And something has to change. Any messenger with a message that produces bad fruit in your life must be cut off. Put your fingers in your ears because you've got way more important things to listen to and way more important things to proclaim. Now, the people of Jesus' day had no shortage of false prophets. I mean, they had plenty of people willing to give their commentary on the status of the world. Here's why this is happening. Here's what's happening. Here's why it's happening. Here's how you can fix it. And here's what's going to happen if you don't do what I tell you to do. Anyone who wants to know the truth, just come and follow me. And there were countless individuals and groups selling their self-proclaimed truth. And you know what the result was? What fruits were produced from these false messages? Jealousy, rage, murder. They crucified the Son of God. I mean, how in the world could the covenant people of God miss the Messiah? How could they have done that? How could they miss the message of Scripture? How could they have been so blind? How did the Jews completely miss the message of the prophets? How could their hearts have become so hard and so full of corruption? How could they have missed the Messiah? I'll tell you how. Two words. False prophets. These false teachers proclaimed a message that produced rotten fruit in the lives of those who ingested it. You go to Galatians chapter 5, and starting in verse 16, here's what you read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For, though, for these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're not listening to the Spirit, then you're not walking by the Spirit, and thus you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know what you are producing? You're producing rotten fruit. Sexual immorality, outburst of anger, envy, selfish ambition, all of those things are a result of not living by the Spirit, not walking in the Spirit, not being filled with the Spirit. When God doesn't have your ear and the Spirit doesn't have your heart, it's going to show up in your life. Who you listen to 
is who you follow. And who you follow determines the course of your life. And therefore, we need to listen and be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. You keep reading in Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Spirit produces fruit of highest quality. When you walk by the Spirit, when you listen to the Spirit, it will manifest itself in your character and your contribution. And here's something else. When the voice of God is the loudest in your life, when you are led by the Spirit, when you draw close to God, when you are attached to the vine, there is wonderful, beautiful, amazing fruit that is produced. Remember these words by Jesus? I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So being close to Jesus, having a close personal relationship with Jesus will produce certain things in your life. And you say, well, what things? All the things that Jesus has talked about in this sermon. Humility, meekness, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, treating people the way that you want to be treated, loving your enemies, walking the narrow path. All the things that Jesus has spoken about. Those are the things that will be produced in your life when you follow close on his heels. We stated it last week, Jesus is wrapping up his sermon here. Matthew chapter 7 is is the wrapping up of Jesus' sermon, and he is asking and answering the question, so what? Like we've said before, any preacher worth his salt is going to ask and answer that question in every sermon. So what? So what does this have to do with me? How does this help me? Jesus is is giving an invitation here. So what are you going to do with this? You're going to follow me, or you're going to turn and walk the other way? But this is what it takes to follow me. This is what is required of a kingdom citizen, a a Jesus follower. Are you going to follow me down the narrow path or are you going to follow those false prophets down the broad road? The decision is yours, but if you want to produce fruit of excellent quality, then don't listen to the religious leaders. Don't give them your ear. They are false prophets. Listen to me because I won't lead you astray and I will give you the best life and you will produce fruit of highest quality. You know, smoke alarms have been around for a long time. But studies have shown that smoke alarms are not that effective on young kids. That apparently the piercing shrill of a smoke alarm doesn't exactly wake children up. In fact, it can take as long as five minutes for a child to wake up and get out of a burning house. And so, recently, smoke alarms have used mother's voices to wake children up. Maybe you've seen these. A mother can record her voice on the smoke alarm to say something like, get up, get up, the house is on fire. And it has been shown that rather than taking up to five minutes, it only takes about 18 to 28 seconds for a young child to get up and get out of the house. That's three times more effective than a piercing shrill. Here's the point. 
there are a multitude of alarming voices competing for your attention. But there's only one that matters. And there's only one that's worth listening to. So the question I leave you with this morning is, are you listening? Let the voice of God be the loudest in your life. Let us help you this morning. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.